Hello and welcome to a video game odyssey. I'm your host Fergus Pearson and today I'll be reviewing Half-Life 2, but before we get to that let's get a brief synopsis of the game. Half-Life 2 is a single player first person shooter set in a dystopian society. Released originally in 2004 for the PC, Half-Life 2 takes around 16 hours to beat and has an adjustable difficulty level that can be altered at any point during the game. The game places emphasis on its linear story and is noted for its technical achievements, including detailed facial animation and for making full use of developer Valve's then new Source physics engine. In Half-Life 2, Valve have birthed one of the most interesting characters to come out of the video game medium. Rather than fulfilling a moral archetype, this character both creates and destroys in equal measure. As this character slowly flexes their limbs, their influences pervades, changing, consuming and homogenising the player's world. This character is City 17, a hostile wasteland surrounding an even more hostile, military-enforced Eastern European city. At the nucleus of City 17 is the Citadel, a foreboding pillar of black stretching into the clouds. Its presence is visible for most of the game as it looms over all the player's actions. Miles away from the monolith, patrolling surveillance cameras calmly float up to silent protagonist Gordon Freeman, introducing themselves with blinding flash photography documenting the player's pursuits whilst reminding them that, even in the wilderness, the autocratic society retains full control. City 17's prevalence infuses each of the game's linear set pieces with a palpable sense of threat and urgency. Despite the game only having slightly above average AI, the Combine, the name given to Half-Life 2's colonising alien enforcers, appear to be an organised cunning and malicious force. Thanks to an intricate approach to textualization. Simple corridor shootouts suddenly transform into tense standoffs, while scripted events feel more akin to a battle of resources and wits. While the combat mechanics found within Half-Life 2 deviate little from standard fare, their ability to engage the player is heightened considerably. While this is partly due to the pertinence fights play within the narrative, praise should also be handed to Valve's level designers. Each predetermined sequence of combat events appear to unfold organically as the player absconds from a conflict they are unaware that they are being funnelled into the next part of the map. Progress occurs naturally and even a player's attempts to detour often leads right into the player's hands. With the greatest care, Valve succeeds at both giving a sense of urgency within a living world whilst also making sure that exploration never comes at the sacrifice of the game's pace. This adherence to narrative and pace is also attained during the game's more open vehicle sections, wherein Freeman must traverse corrosive swamplands and large insect-infested deserts in a makeshift hovercraft and doom buggy respectively. 
In these chapters, Valve provide themselves the opportunity to express the scale of City 17 through gruelling chase sequences, while also awarding players respite from the more claustrophobic environments. Even in these instances, Half-Life 2 draws the eye with sprinklings of demolition roadside architecture that can even be ignored or explored. Curious players, though, are gifted with small narrative vignettes that use now-dishevelled household furnishings to evoke a sense of history of people's shoestring existence even before the Combine's tyranny. Though the majority of the plot is expressed through atmosphere and detailed scenery, with rebel graffiti strewn across abandoned buildings, some sections of the game are devoted to cutscenes. However, in a wise effort to conserve immersion, these scenes take place in first person, with the player free to move around and even wander off and miss large chunks of exposition that other games would bombard the player with. There are around a dozen of these narrative-centric segments scattered throughout the game, each lasting around 6 minutes, and within these time constraints, Valve creates a believable and likeable cast of rebels. Through well-written dialogue, body language, and technically pioneering facial animation, each cast member shows a degree of vulnerability and gallows humour that translates into characters that are far more mature than what video games are used to. Despite being an ensemble cast of sorts, the most memorable characters, outside of the aforementioned ever-present City 17, is Alex, daughter of scientists first introduced in the original Half-Life. Alex is a headstrong member of an alliance, whose courage and integrity is driven by her desire to protect her amputee Tharva. Though travelling across City 17 is mostly a solitary affair, Alex partners up with Freeman for some of the game's most pivotal chapters, aiding the player via extra gunpower and by hacking combined technology. In Alex, Valve have designed a female character that is very progressive for the medium. She does not need to be protected by the player, and narratively, she has a stronger agency and a more compelling character arc than the game's silent male protagonist. Elsewhere, Freeman is helped by Barney, a rebel posing as a soldier in the Combine military. Father Gregory, a master of traps, Vortigon, a noble alien race that were previously enslaved by the Combine, and Antlions, a colony of sand-dwelling insects that obey Freeman once he has acquired one of their pheromone pods. Each companion brings with it new gameplay elements that reframe the game's usual mix of shooting, light physics, and platforming puzzles. Moments of quiet are interspersed with cooperative work, Intense action, well-implemented vehicle sections, and environmental problem-solving culminating in Half-Life 2 feeling expertly paced. Additionally, each chapter brings with it new locales that comes with its own flavour of colour and expressive lighting. Each chapter has a well-executed build-up and, while Valve have prepared a varied set list of events, they are nonetheless willing to let each segment breathe and develop naturally. Some sections of the game are even set out to feel overlong, emphasising the arduous struggle Freeman and Cole must battle through, with Valve using this trick sparingly so as not to be too abrasive. One such chapter is placed around one third into the game, where Freeman's route is obscured, leading the player into Ravenholm, a district void of either rebels or combine, but instead infested with crabheads an alien parasite that harvests humans into zombie-like undead. 
These hostiles, whilst dotted throughout the game, appear here in droves, quickly depleting the player of any reserved ammunitions. Thankfully though, moments before this harrowing detour, Alex hands Freeman Half-Life 2's most diverse, innovative and downright fun weapon in the form of the gravity gun. The gravity gun allows players to grab nearby objects and jettison them with lethal force. Though a novel concept at first, it is the implementation of the gravity gun that surprises. Every room in the game is littered with common household items, and each item holds its own realistic physical properties. Telephones can be ripped through walls and shot through glass windows, cinder blocks can weigh down elaborate mechanisms, and in Ravenholm, crabheads can have their torso split in two by the gravity gun propelled buzzsaw. While Ravenholm is clearly designed as a playground for the player to experiment with the gravity gun on slow moving targets, its longevity thereafter depends on the one's own creativity. While flammable red barrels beg to be hurled into groups of combine military, many players could easily go through the game not realising that enemy grenades can be tossed back to their owner. It is testament to the intuitive nature of the gravity gun that, despite Half-Life 2 having few moments where the gravity gun is mandatory, many players will purposely try to get through as many combat scenarios as possible with the gravity gun alone. In moments of more frenzied action, where the gravity gun simply won't cut it, however, Valve have the player covered with the intimate selection of weapons that each come with clearly defined advantages and shortcomings. While Freeman's arsenal may seem uninspiring at first value, pistols, shotguns, magnums and machine guns have a weightiness to them, aided greatly by a tremendous sound design. Each gun has its own distinctive punch to it, inflected by the acoustics of the room in which the gun was shot in, and punctuated further by a variety of surfaces the bullet can ricochet off. A techno-inspired soundtrack delicately adds to the mix, chiming in during hectic gunfights and installing a sense of unease, as Freeman ventures further into the barren outskirts of City 17 and the bowels of the Citadel. While technically a resounding achievement, Half-Life 2's sound work also translates into a more intuitive play session. The volume of a soldier's radio bleep lets the player know how close they are, while the sound of machine gun bullets raining on metal informs the player that they are not succeeding at gunning down a distant target. Meanwhile, a bass-heavy hum heard a mile away lets the player know that an enemy dropship, with design inspired by deep-sea creatures, is nearby. The combined forces and sound mixing are rounded out with a strider, a large tripedal land unit reminiscent of War of the Worlds fighting machines. Striders give a muffled yelp similar to an elephant and, like the dropship, create a cacophony of bassy thumps and screeches as rocket launchers momentarily stun the formidable combined machinery. While many hobbyists and critics alike contemplate whether graphics, story or gameplay should take precedence when considering a game's quality, Half-Life 2 excels in each of these elements. More affecting still, Half-Life 2 demonstrates the impact that carefully blending these elements can have. This culminates in a game that is not only breaks new ground in terms of sound mixing, facial animation and physics design, but also works as a unified experience that challenges and rewards a player technically 
emotionally and mechanically. Taken as the sum of its parts then, Half-Life 2 is a laundry list of achievements, innovations and intelligent implementation. However, like City 17, taken as a whole, Half-Life 2 feels much more. It feels alive. Half-Life 2 gets a 10 out of 10. A 10 does not represent a perfect game, but it does represent a game that I would strongly recommend to fans of the genre or series. A 10 also represents a game with a high enough level of quality that I could recommend this game to non-fans of the genre or series also. This has been Fergus Pearson for Video Game Odyssey. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to either subscribe or review on iTunes. Like, comment and subscribe on YouTube or leave me a message or follow on Twitter or SoundCloud. Anything you can do to support the show will be a huge help. Any feedback or follows will help the show grow and allow it to reach new listeners. Thank you. Thank you.